Good evening, Rinkrats. Hope you are all doing well. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 11 to the Chicago Blackhawks 2023 Draft Preview. Uh, we've been doing a lot of homework lately, and in three days' time, back three days from right this moment, Wednesday, this Wednesday coming up, the Chicago Blackhawks and the NHL will have the annual NHL Entry Round Draft. You all know the big news. The Blackhawks have the number one overall pick, but tonight, we're going to dive into the rest of the draft. We're going to talk about their needs. We're going to talk about who's on the board. We've got two usual suspects here tonight, and hopefully Shawnee Fitzgerald will be joining us, as well as a guest appearance from a guy called The Fork. We're, all, we're waiting to see who he is. We hear he's a great guy. Eric Andrews, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Like you said, we've got about three days until the next era of Blackhawks hockey begins, and I cannot wait. going to be outstanding barter are you feeling similarly are you excited for wednesday night welcome how have you been buddy oh yeah doing great um very much looking forward to it should be a fun night awesome so folks i'm on a bit of a having some technical difficulties uh i talk i usually talk very fast anyway but if you're watching online my mouth is not catching up to my voice sorry having some uh, internet difficulty out in the, the northern woods in northern michigan but at any rate we know who's going number one. The whole continent knows who's going number one overall. Folks, don't be duped. All these rumors, oh, what would you trade Bedard for? The number one, would they do it for McDavid and a few other guys? It's not happening. Three days from today, Connor Bedard is going to walk up onto the podium. He is going to accept a Chicago Blackhawks jersey. He's going to put it on. He's going to look great. Generational talent. We're all really excited about it. And so don't believe the clickbait if people are saying this ain't going to happen because it is. We'll see what happens after that. There are plenty of great prospects out there. Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, Mitchkoff, another one from Russia. Everyone's a little confused on how that is going to land, where he's going to go. Uh, most likely he will go in the top 10, but dominoes will fall particularly after that pick. And so what we want to start with tonight is we want to talk about round one, Pick number 19 that the Chicago Blackhawks do have. So we're assuming tonight that they're going to make this pick. And all signs might be pointed that direction, but who knows? Kyle Davidson might pull something off. He might move up. Bardo, we're going to get to Eric Andrews. First of all, if you hadn't have not read Eric Andrews' latest article on the Blackhawks' needs before the upcoming draft, do it. All right? It's the best one out there. It is the most accurate. He is very comprehensive. Um in his approach to analyzing prospects. Yes, Eric, I'm pumping your tires. Sorry if I'm embarrassing you, but so you better deliver on tonight's podcast because <laughs> uh, we're going to be asking a lot of you. Before we get to Eric and some of the players out there at 19, Bardo, what do you, what do you want to see the Hawks do with 19? Like what are some of the needs? What kind of player are we looking at for 19? So I, I think it comes down to, I think size is going to be something that I definitely think they need to explore at that, at that pick, or, you know, if they end up moving up or down, I think size is definitely something we can't sit here um, and say that it's going to make sense for them to, to draft a couple of Smurfs, but the, the team has, you know, some prospects and in, um, in their system. And for the most part, the prospects that they have are, are, you know, 
on the smallish side. So I think it comes down to trying to find somebody who can skate well, um, who brings some size. I prefer building um, with centers. So I'm hoping the Hawks would take a center there. Uh, if one exists, that, that makes sense. But um, we'll see. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of taking wings in the first round unless they're, you know, 100% can't miss guys like, you know, Kane or whatever. Um, but quite frankly, I, I, I'm big on building with, with D-men as well as um, centers. And, and it's, it's a weak first round for d- defensemen. So I think if they can get a center, I would take a center. Gotcha. Yeah. Weak first round for defensemen. However, talent rich first round everywhere else, it seems like. And I think, Eric, I'm sure you agree with me and you've said it before. Maybe one of the best first round draft classes in a long time um, headed this way that you're going to hear about more on Wednesday. To Bardo's point, though, real quick is, yeah. And folks, we're not saying we're not saying little guys can't play in the NHL. That's not the point. The point is, is that the Blackhawks. Uh, first round picks as far as forward depth lately have been Lucas Reichel, Frank Nazar, and now will be Connor Bedard, all of which are under six feet tall. And if you look at the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who just won the NHL, there's some big, big boys out there. So the size factor is important. I agree with that 100%. Eric, with and size in mind, too. how are you feeling about six? Yeah, and they have to skate. They have to skate. So, Eric, with size in mind, thinking center, maybe wing, it seems like there's some big boys that are wingers. Who are some of your favorite targets at 19 that could be available there or who the Hawks should be eyeballing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to touch on a couple of things you guys mentioned there, um, I wholeheartedly agree that size definitely needs to be a focus, um, especially at 19th overall, assuming that's where they make the pick. Um Now, of course, you know, like we said, is size the end-all be-all? No, it is not. But like you also, you know, stated, when you already have three guys in that, you know, expected long-term top six that are under six feet, you got to add some size to that. You cannot have four or five guys that, you know, doesn't mean they're not strong on their skates, doesn't mean they can't win a board battle here and there. But like you said, we've seen in the playoffs, you know, year after year and this year, no exception, you got to have some size up front if you are expecting to go far. So, yes, I absolutely agree with that. As far as some of the, some of those fits, um, to me, it's not so much about the position. Um, I mean, I definitely agree with what Bard says. You know, you you would ideally love to have really strong center depth for sure. Um, you know, all the cup winning teams are probably going to have you know two or three really strong centermen, but. You know, to me, it's more about the the traits that this player is going to have and the profile and kind of the the style of game that they play and how that will complement not only the, you know, the prospects that they currently have and will have, but, you know, kind of the, the vision of the organization moving forward. So, you know, to me, when I think of that, um, one player that immediately jumps to mind that I think there's at least a reasonable chance that he'll be there at 19 is, is Quentin Musty um, from the OHL. Um, not like a huge guy, but you know, he's, I think I want to say he's like six, two, um, you know, high one hundreds. I think he's a little under 200 pounds, but, um, a guy that can, you know, kind of play that power style of game without just being, you know, a a bruiser type of guy, you know, he's a skilled player first and foremost, but having that bigger frame 
kind of allows him to play a little bit more of a power style of game. And he's a very creative player, really good playmaker. So, you know, if you were able to get him and pair him with the Connor Bedard, that could be a really, really, really good duo, uh, you know, for a number of years to come. Um, so that's kind of, I would say, almost like my main hope is that Quentin Musty is available there. A um, couple other guys, uh, Matthew Wood is a guy that I know you really like. Andy, I really like him as well. Um, he's yeah. also very much within that power forward type of, of a mold. Um, he's bigger than Musty. He's 6'4", and I, I want to say a, around 200, a little bit over 200 pounds, but um, just kind of has that more of a prototypical yeah, right power power forward type of game. Um, but again, a very skilled player. He's a, a very good goal scorer. So that could kind of be interesting. You know, would you want to pair that with Bedard or would you want to split them up on separate lines? You know, what that might look like. But um, just kind of that profile of, you know, this is a, a big bodied, strong player that still has that skill. Um, I would probably say it's 50-50 at best that Wood is still there at 19. I am not counting on that being the case. So um, that's kind of like the pipe dream. If he's there, that'd be awesome, but not getting my hopes up too much about that. Um, another guy that is kind of an interesting one um, because he, some people see him more as a winger. Some people see him more as a center uh, or a guy that could potentially be a center is Samuel Hanzik out of the WHL as well. Um, a, a big guy. I want to say he's 6'4", 6'5". Uh, just a big body, but he can skate really well for his size. So that is, you know, obviously something that I'm sure the Blackhawks would find very intriguing is, you know, that combination of, of size uh, skating and skill and uh, you know, a little bit of that versatility as well. Um, he's a guy I could see going as high as, you know, maybe 13th or 14th overall, but he still could be there at 19 for the Hawks as well. Nice. I love those takes. Yeah. Uh, folks, uh, Matthew Wood, uh, who, who Eric just talked about, uh, he's going to be a freshman at UConn next year. Um, he is big, he's strong, he's powerful, 200 pounds. I think that with, with the Buffalo and Eric and I have been going back and forth on this with the Buffalo Sabres picking at 13, he is kind of of that Tage Thompson mold and uh, mm -hmm. a player that they obviously, you know, Thompson quantum leap in his game this year. So the idea of Buffalo will still be probably forward driven uh, in this process. So he might go after that. He or Buffalo might go after Wood right there. Uh, Hanzik, the player you just mentioned, a lot of people have been talking about that Pittsburgh might take a run at him in 14. It sounds like Musty should be available at 19. The hope is that he really is. Um, the other two could go earlier, but you know, it's the draft. I mean, any, anything happens, players slide. Um, one, one player that, that Eric, I'll ask you to comment on and Bart, if you know anything about him, another player that might be in those late teens is Colby Barlow from, uh, Owen sound, uh, mm -hmm. seems like, uh, he's, he doesn't exactly have the height, but he's thicker and he's rugged and he grinds it out in the corners. Would he be a good fit? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I would say that he's kind of more, um, in terms of like the, the draft stock is looking at that way. I would say he's kind of more in that Matthew Wood tier where I would be surprised if he was still there at 19 when the Hawks are picking or if they're picking at 19. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely a solid player. Like you said, he doesn't have, you know, a huge frame, but he's just a strong bodied guy that, you know, knows how to use his body. Well, uh, I want to say he's around like six, six feet or six, one, something like that. But he's just a solid kind of stockier type yeah. of player. He's got um, a heavy shot though. Yes, very good shot. 
very good shot. So, oh, um, yeah, again, that's the highlights of him. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, kind of going yeah. back to Matthew Wood too, you know, do you want to have, uh, you know, kind of a, another sniper type of player to put next to Bedard or would you want to split that up? Um, you know, a lot of people have had the debate of, is Connor Bedard going to be an elite level goal scorer and that's going to be his primary offensive tool, or is he going to be more of a playmaker in the NHL? So, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing, I guess, you know, you can never have, I mean, I guess you can't have too many goal scorers, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's never an issue to have guys, uh, you know, that you can kind of move around and, and stuff like that. So if, yeah, Kobe Barlow was there at 19, you know, that's certainly a guy that I would be interested in for sure. Let me ask you guys a question on the on one prospect that I'm I'm intrigued by, but I'm running away from. I'll tell you why, because the, the two words work ethic. Anytime I see a player have a questionable work ethic, I, I, I just avoid them like the plague. Um, Edward Sale, who is ridiculously talented. And I remember his name last year because I always like to look ahead and see who's, you know, up there and who's going to be a guy that. Uh, you know what, what that what those lists look like a year down the road, especially knowing the Blackhawks were going to be terrible this year. So, and he was a guy a lot of people had in that top ten, top fifteen, and now he's dropping probably because of that work ethic into the you know into the into the twenty yeah into the twenties. So, Eric, I'm curious to hear and Andy chime in as well as what you guys think about him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely an intriguing name. Um, you know, kind of for different reasons, I would say, but, you know, kind of in that Michkov type of a conversation, you know, where is this guy going to go? Um, talent wise, he's, you know, arguably right up there in the best of the draft. I mean, you know, Bedard is on his own level, but you know, he, he can be right up there just as far as the, the raw talent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a very intriguing case because uh, you know, he has a lot of the raw tools that you really are looking for. He's a very fast skater, Um, you know, good on his edges, but he has the, just the good straight line speed too, um, you know, and a very gifted playmaker. So, you know, that's again, kind of the profile where you say that would be a really good duo to put with Bedard. And he does have, you know, a little bit bigger of a frame. I want to say he's around six two, you know, something like that. And obviously he can fill out a little bit and put on some muscle, but that's the case for all these guys at this point. So the weight doesn't matter too much, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very it's, – it's an intriguing player. But, you know, like you said, um, when you have that label attached to you of questionable work ethic, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, hard, it's a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's one of the younger players in the draft. I mean, he just turned 18 in March. Um, all the scouts, Corey Pronman, et cetera, you know, all the expert analysis out there is that his, his skill set is elite. Um, that that his toolkit, his puck handling, his skating, all of that is good, but but that he's just he's very inconsistent. Like you just never know what you're going to get night in, night out. Um, I don't know. Kyle Davidson doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would go after anyone if the work ethic was questionable. Um, but I don't know. You know, I don't know what he's thinking. But at the same time, it's you know he last year's draft was all about speed. You know, mm-hmm. is this year's draft going to be a little bit more about toughness, potentially? Um, is that the the kind of player that you want, you know, a running mate for Bedard? Where I, I do think you want someone to win, win pucks. You want mm-hmm. someone with strength who's going to win board battles, who's going to have a little bit of an edge to them. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't be, I, I think, I think sale will go later. I think he'll be available at 19 or all signs are pointing in that direction. Um, but he'd be an interesting. I, I think there's enough good players that someone with a question mark on their work ethic. I don't know if you want to touch that. No, uh, and, and I think he's a guy. There's just so many other players. Yeah, no, I think he's a guy. If, if he's in there in the second round, I think, you know, the Hawks have, what, four second round picks. I mean, I can certainly see them taking a flyer on him. I mean, and that's where you sort of put the uh, the balls in the hands of, of your talent development and your coaching that's going to be able to, you know, get this kid's head screwed on. So, um, and make him more consistent. But sometimes, you know, even the best just aren't able to do that. So, um, but yeah. That'll be interesting to see where he goes. I'm curious to see what organization he lands in. So, because like you said, he's got world class talent, but he's got low class work ethic. <laughs> yeah, two two other names that that have been around at 19, or that a lot of people are talking about, um, Gabriel Perot and and one in particular particular Andrew Cristal, who a lot of Blackhawk fans are salivating over because of his ties to Connor Bedard, because he's a former teammate of him. But 5'9", 167, Perot, 5'9", 165. Eric, you mentioned in your article you were very specific, saying if they are going to look for this kind of player, those are the kinds of guys that they're targeting. But it might not be the fit right now because these guys, smaller in stature, not the physicality, not the bigger player that they should be looking for in 19. Are you, you standing by those original sediments, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that these two players in particular, even though they kind of have similar profiles, um, very, you know, to me, almost polar opposites as far as, uh, you know, what you would kind of be looking for in a player. Uh, I really like Gabriel Perot. I think, you know, just his dynamic, you know, playmaking style and, and even, even ability to score goals is, is really impressive. Um, you know, if he was a bigger player, you know, even if he was six feet, six one, had some muscle on him. I mean, this is a, a kid that seriously could be pushing maybe even as high as like fifth, sixth overall. Um, but you know, that smaller frame is going to, li- is going to limit that ceiling as far as his draft position a little bit. Um, you know, some people still think that he could maybe even sneak in as high as 10 or 11, but a lot of people think he'll be somewhere in the teens there for sure, just based on the the pure skill level and, you know, showing that he can, you know, really produce offensively. Um, you know, so that's a player that let's say the Blackhawks had no notable forward prospects. They didn't have Reichel. They didn't have Nazar. If they were going into this and Bedard was their first future top six player, I would have no issue taking Perot if he was there at 19. But going back to what we said, you just can't have, you know, the majority of your top six be these smaller types of guys. And, you know, even if he has a little bit of chippiness or whatever, it just isn't going to work long-term if that's all you have. So, you know, I really like Gabe Perot as a player, but I just don't see it being a great fit for the Blackhawks. Now, transition over to Cristal. And I said it in my article, I have zero interest in this player for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, <laughs> yes, it's a, <laughs> it's a fun narrative. He's buddies with Bedard, all that. That's great. That's fun, whatever. But when you are, as small as he is, and again, not not that we're just saying size is everything. It's not. But when you are as small as he is, you know, 5'9 or so, 
and combine that with the fact that he is a below average skater, that is not something that is going to set you up well for success at the NHL level. So, I mean, it's just, to me, 19, you're not even thinking about him. 35, I don't think you're really thinking about him either because there's probably going to be other players still available. They're going to have, you know, a much more projectable skill set and, and tool set. So, um, you know, I don't even think that you consider him at 35. 44, maybe you say this kid's skill is just way above anybody else at this spot. Maybe you take a swing on him at 44. He's not going to last that long. Someone's going to take him late in the first round, maybe early in the second round if he slips that ball that far. But, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a total yeah, zero interest in, in Crystal at 19 or even at 35 for me. Yeah, I mean, to me, Crystal is basically Ray Whitney and probably slower than Ray Whitney. Um, and and Perot, like, I, I agree with everything you said, Eric. I mean, <laughs> I, I like the kid. He's got his father's hockey IQ, but the size is just, you know – you know, like you said, if he was six one or six two, he'd be probably Jonathan Taves. You know, with that with that sort of size, skill, and um, you know, head on his shoulders. That you know, the the hockey IQ. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but yeah, the the kid's just going to be too small, and and you know, maybe he ends up being a third or fourth line, you know, winger or center. I, I think he's going to end up at wing, but we'll see. Um, We'll see if he can win faceoffs like his father, but, um, but yeah, likely. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, yeah. I think that the skating piece, Eric, as you mentioned, I mean, that's everything. I mean, if if you have a substandard skater in the first round, that is the antithesis of Kyle Davidson's mantra. It just really doesn't doesn't seem like it fits in. Um, we we talked about the Blackhawks uh, prospect pool, or we didn't talk about it. We're going to start mentioning it right now. But their their prospect pool right now is pretty strong defensively, um, particularly what you know what they did last year in the draft uh, with the Alex the, with the Debrinket trade and getting Kevin Korchinski with the seventh overall pick. Then they took Rinzel uh, later in the first round. Uh, they. Um, they had the top three. They've got, had three defensemen on the Canadian World Junior Team, Korchinski being one of them. And um, Ethan Del Mastro took a quantum leap in his play last year. He was he was awesome. And then Stan's boy, what was his name again? They took him 32 Nolan, overall. Nolan Allen. Nolan Allen. Nolan Allen. There you go. Nolan Sorry Allen. that I forgot. Appreciate it. So, I mean – but there, there, are two, there are two defensemen in the draft that if they fell to 19 – could be tempting. One of them is Reinbacher, who I don't think will fall to 19. The other one is Tom Willander. Um, Eric, any chance Willander falls to 19? I don't think so. There are some people out there that think he could fall to 20. And would the Hawks take a run at him if he was there? Yeah, I mean, to me, starting off with Reinbacher, um, I think most people would say that he's the best defenseman in the draft class. And some people think that he could go as high as even fifth overall. Um, but I think he's a slam dunk to go in the top 10. I, I don't see him falling out of the top 10. So, um, yeah, Reinbacher just is not going to be there at 19 for sure. Well, Lander is an interesting case because even, you know, midway through this season, he was kind of viewed as like a second round, even a later second round type of guy. But just with how much progression he showed throughout this season, and especially at the end of the season, um, you just, just, shot up the draft board and uh you know i really like the player 
Um, I could see a team taking a shot on him. I've heard, you know, read thoughts from people that he could go even as high as 10th or 11th overall. Um, You know, so it's interesting to kind of see, you know, how high do teams think his, his ceiling really is? That's probably going to determine where he goes. Uh, Like we said, this, this draft class is just not very strong for the high end defenseman. So, you know, yes, you have Reinbacher up top. He'll be, he'll be a top pairing defenseman. Uh, You've got Axel Sandin Pelica, who is, you know, pretty much purely an offensive type of defenseman. Um, So again, kind of where teams project his future is probably going to determine where he goes, but, you know, I could certainly see him being gone by 19. Um, So, you know, with Willander, it's an interesting case, just, you know, really thinking about knowing that this draft class is weaker for the high end defenseman, our team's going to really prioritize that and, you know, not necessarily reach on defensemen earlier, but, you know, knowing, you know, Hey, we really need a defenseman and there's just not that many great defenders out there this year. Let's go get him. I can definitely see that happening. You know, I, I can see, uh, I can see the predators taking him at 15, for example. Um, you know, I think that would be a good fit for them. Um, if he was there at 19, which I would say is probably like 60, 40, that he's not available at 19. Um, but you know, let, let's take the 40% chance that he is there. Uh, I like the player. I think that he would fit in well with what the Hawks are trying to do. However, I would just question, you know, depending on what forwards are available, I would have a hard time picking a defenseman at 19, just knowing that there's going to be a really quality forward or two that's also sitting there. And that's probably, you know, a top filling out that top six is probably a little bit bigger of a need for the Hawks at this point than getting kind of like that one more defensive prospect. Kyle has also talked quite a bit about how he's really pleased with the group of defensemen that they have. And he's talked about, you know, with, you know, existing players and whether or not they could re- they resign them or not. Um, that it, the depth of the organization is and the strength is on D. So, I agree. I don't think they're going to go defenseman even if um, Willinder is there at nineteen. I do think Reinbacher though is going to basically be an Arizona Coyote. I mean, after they traded Chikrin, I think everybody has him going six overall. I don't see him going past there. So I I, I think he's like a lock. So if you you know, you're in the if, betting market. Do that. <laughs> if Montreal passes on him, I could I could see Montreal taking. Yeah, him. that's a possibility. That's a good point. But yeah, six I think is is a good fit for sure. Yeah. Well, and then, but then there's then there's the Mitchkoff effect, and I, I know we we're talking mostly about the Chicago Blackhawks, but the most intriguing player name in the entire NHL leading into the draft is is Matt Vay Mitchkoff, uh, the young man from Russia, who a lot of people have said his skill set and his, his abilities are near the level of Connor Bedard. And if he was, so he signed with his Russian team through 2026. And so the idea of someone drafting him right now, they might not see him for a little while. Um, if at all, uh, I think that he hasn't, he hasn't met with NHL clubs. He's just starting to speak with NHL clubs this week is the rumor. He did not go to the combine. Um, he's been very Protected by the folks around him in Russia, he's not really very available uh, for consultation. There are some rumblings that, you know, people like Daniel Briere 
if he falls to seven is just saying, I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm going to go get the best player. Uh, the, the Flyers are a team that are rebuilding, so they certainly have time on their side if he falls to seven. Um, but he's the player that really will change the draft as far as what everyone's thinking. It seems like at seven, there's the Flyers. At eight, there's Washington. I don't think he'll get past that. But then there's some people that are saying he could go as high as two, that Anaheim could just do it. Um, so I, I wanted to entertain this for a little bit. I actually don't think he'll get past San Jose or Montreal. Uh, personally, but you know, Eric, I know you have a lot of thoughts on Mitch Coffin. We've obviously talked about it at great length, jested about it at great length as well. <laughs> um, w- if you are picking his landing spot right now, where is it? And then Bardo, I want to hear what you have to say on this too. It's, I would say for the, this draft, it's the million dollar question. I mean, I would agree with you, Andy. I, I think that he just based on what he brings to the table, he has to go top five. That said, I'm not sure that San Jose does it at four because Will Smith is a far safer pick. And, you know, they're, they're just dying for high end offensive talent in their prospect pool. So I don't think that they would be upset about getting Will Smith at four. Then you move to Montreal. Do they really need another small goal scoring winger? No, they, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, don't I don't know. Nick, Nick Bobrov might be intrigued. Their head of scouting. Nick Bobrov might want to take a flyer on Mitchkov. It's, it's so, hard to know. I, you know, you mentioned uh, Bardo, you know, Bardo, you, you indicated that, you know, that, that you see Reinbacker going to Arizona right away, but Arizona could take Mitchkoff and then try to sell the team <laughs> and, and move. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think? mean, look, I, I think Reinbacher is a possibility at five for Montreal, but let me throw this this scenario out here. I mean, it almost seems like every year within the top, the, the second half of the top 10, there's always somebody who just – is almost like that we look at as a reach um, that, that will just jump up because they just are in love with him for whatever reason, or it's positional value, whatever it is. I think, I I think Mitch the fact that he's not going to be here until 26 is going to scare people. Um, You know, it probably won't scare a team like the flyers because they are just starting the rebuild. They could sell that to their fan base and say, look, by the time we're good, we're going to be inserting an all-world player. But you know what? you got to be patient with us. So there's that piece of it. But, I mean, I could see somebody like Dvorsky moving up to five because he's a, you know, he's a center because of the position he plays. I mean, I can see him going five ahead of Mitchkov. He's probably not as skilled as him, but I just think because there's just a lot of, you know, factors bubbling in that that i just i just think it's that that's a possibility that we should look out for um but yeah i mean look if he, if he gets to seven or eight um to philly if, if philly passes on him then i think washington will take him but i think philly is, is going to be where he yeah. ends up yeah i would i would yeah. agree with that a lot of people sure. think Tavoski. go ahead eric i was just gonna say um yeah i mean i Reading what some scouts have been saying, um, I forget what article it was. I think it might have been through The Athletic. But um, a lot of scouts are feeling that 
you know, there's kind of that consensus top five as far as talent goes, you know, with those five forwards being Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, and Michkov. But a lot of scouts are saying, well, Dalbor Dvorsky deserves to be in that conversation too. So I could definitely see the Canadians taking him at five. I could see the Coyotes taking him at six. I could see the Flyers taking him at seven, on and on and on. Um, To me, another name that could kind of throw a wrench into things is Ryan Leonard. I could Mm -hmm. see the Canadians taking him at five. Um, Kind of almost similar to what happened with Cutter Goche last year. Um, You know, kind of that power winger that, teams you know especially now after this year seeing how impactful Matthew Kachuk was I think that could definitely raise Leonard's stock a little bit um I mean he was he's always kind of been viewed as a top 10 type of guy anyway but I could see even you know as high as five Montreal taking Ryan Leonard and that kind of then creates a little bit of a trickle-down effect so you know let's say that Leonard goes five Reinbach goes six now Philadelphia has a decision to make between do they go, you know, for Michkov and take the swing? Do they go with Dvorsky? Um, you know, to yeah. me, if you look at those eight players, I think that's your top eight in whatever order that is. But, um, yeah, I, I don't see Michkov getting past seven or eight. That's that's. For so sure. I, will, I, I, will, I don't see it. I will say, Eric, when you, you know, when you say top five talents, I mean, I think – you know, there's always that consensus every year. And I think you said, you know, who the top five talents are without question, you know, Smith, Bedard, uh, et cetera. Um, but doesn't mean that does not necessarily equate to the top five picks mm-hmm. because there's a lot of factors within that. So, you know, I, I don't think anybody would argue the top five talents because you could say that about a, a pretty much any draft in any sport. It just, you know, how will the top five picks fare? So, they all have Absolutely. different philosophies. Right. So yeah, I yeah. No, it's it's crazy. I don't it, it, it reminds me actually a lot of in 2007, if you remember Alexei uh Cheriponov, uh mm. who was dra- drafted by the New York Rangers 19th overall, but going into the draft, there were the same conversations around him. Um, as far as being this guy's a top five talented pick, and then everyone just watched him slide and slide and slide because he was gonna stay in the KHL. Um so I don't know that that really could that could sway the tide though in 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 the first round as far mm-hmm. as what we see and how everything lands. Before Here's we one, get into one the other, second round, is there a player? Yeah, go ahead. One other thing I wanted to add too, um, you know, when we're talking about prospect development timeline and stuff, if people are scared off by by Mitchkov not coming over for three years, if you're you know, the fires at seven, for example, you know, if, if you're deciding, do we go Mitchkov? Do we go Ryan Leonard? If he's there, do we go Dvorsky? Um, first of all, Dalbert Dvorsky just signed a, I think a two-year contract to stay in Sweden. So that's something just to, to make mm-hmm. note of as well. Um, that could affect his draft stock, but um, at that spot, you're probably going to be waiting two or three years, regardless of who you're taking. So at that point, you mm-hmm. kind of have to yep. look at just the straight-up talent. Okay, do I want to wait two years for a guy that's probably going to be you know, maybe a second liner? Or do I wait three years for a guy who could be a bona fide superstar? That's something to consider. Now, obviously, the Russian factor factors into that. We all know that. Um, but then you also have people like Craig Button saying that he has no concern about Mitchkov eventually coming over. So, you know, and that there's, I think he, you know, 
specifically said no risk when when it comes to that so if someone that respected and that knowledgeable in the community is kind of saying some of those things you know then you kind of start looking at okay if you're waiting three years for him versus two or three years for someone else kind of a no-brainer at that point so that's kind of just you know one thing to to make note of and then i also wanted to throw one more name into the uh the equation here for potentially number 19. Um, when you started talking about Sharapanov, that kind of made me think of this guy, um, Daniil Boot, who is obviously a, a big Russian winger. Yep. Um, a lot of people are saying just as far as the, the raw talent and, you know, the package that he has to offer is, you know, top 10, potentially even top five in this draft class. But then you add in the Russian factor and that kind of drops the stock a little bit. So, um, you know, and I do believe that that's a player that the Blackhawks are very interested in. And I think they would strongly consider him at 19 if he is available. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, he'll be top 10. I don't see that. Um, but I could definitely see him, you know, if, if we're talking about big wingers mm-hmm. going to Buffalo, I could see the Sabres taking him. I could see a number of teams in the teens taking the swing on Daniil Boot and, uh, you know, hoping that that works out because, when you have a guy that's you know six four six five can skate fairly well for his size and you know has an extremely good shot, that's a pretty tantalizing package for sure. I will say if Montreal is sitting there at five and well, Mitchkov is on the board, I, I think they call Philadelphia and Washington right away and say, "Give me your best offer because sure. if you want this kid and this kid's going to be a superstar. Yeah. Give me your best offer." Percent. Yeah. If and if and if he ends up. If he ends up in Philadelphia, if Mitchkoff ends up in Philadelphia and at 22, Daniil Boot is still available, that would be pretty interesting. If uh, if the Flyboys said, all right, let's let's go get both of these guys. And I, I think that could be could be a good selling point for both wingers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Daniil Boot of the uh, Eric Daze mold, you know, a six five and two hundred pounds and pretty decent mm-hmm. skater. All right, one more question before we start getting into the needs later on in the draft. Is there any player that you feel fits Chicago's mold where they could make a reasonable trade to trade up into the lower teens or perhaps 11 or 12? I'm, I'm saying Matthew Wood. I actually, you know, we, you know, Eric, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. He was the first player that you mentioned. I don't want him to go to Buffalo. He will probably end up in Buffalo at the same time. I mean, if, if he is there and, and, and the Hawks can move one of their second round picks or move back in the second round. They can dangle that 35th overall pick potentially, um, which is their earliest pick in the second round, or maybe some of their later picks in the second round. They also have so much draft capital in 2024. They still have two first round picks already four second round picks already where you can dangle some of those. Matthew Wood is a kind of player that I, I would love to see them move up for. Does anyone disagree or is there anyone else on the board within reason that is, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, players like Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, anyone in the top 10, I don't think teams are going to, are going to move for, you know, because I, I think they're going to want to hold on to that talent, but are there any other players within reason that you'd love to see them move up for if they had to have them? Yeah. I mean, to me, I think short of somebody that's just, really good like you said falling which this draft is i would say one of the most unpredictable in recent memory so 
who knows what might happen. I mean, you might have someone that you thought is a top five, top six, top seven type of guy that starts falling. You know, maybe the the Sweden contract with Dvorsky scares some people off and he starts falling into the teens. Maybe you call up and, and try to get him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, realistically, yeah, I would say Matthew Wood is someone that you consider it depending on what the price is. Um, you know, let's suppose that Buffalo you know, that, that he's their guy and they're taking him at 13. Well, now you're probably looking at, you have to make a trade with Vancouver at 11 or Arizona at 12. And, you know, I could see either of those teams potentially being interested in moving back and acquiring some extra picks there. So it could happen. Um, At the same time, I could also see Vancouver being really interested in Matthew Wood as well for multiple reasons, but um, you know, I, I think he's a, the type of guy, just the, the profile that the player has that could be worth, de- you know, depending on what the cost is. That said, and I, I talked about this in my article, but I just I don't see the likely cost of moving up being worth, you know, doing it because you're probably still going to have an extremely good player sitting there at 19 that it's like, OK, the guy that we would get at 19, if he's. 90% of the player that Matthew Wood is or whoever, and we're having to give up at least a second and probably something else to move up seven spots. It, not, you know, it might be worth it, but it's kind of a tough sell. So, um, but yeah, he's really the only one that I would say, yeah, you, you give that some, a, a long look and, and really consider doing it. Otherwise I just stand pat at 19. Yeah, Bardo, uh, I, I agree. Similarly, on that, I would I would stand pat at nineteen unless somebody who is uh, was projected to go in the top ten falls. Like if by some miracle Ryan Leonard is sitting there at ten or eleven, like hell, I'm basically going scorch earth to go up and get him because he's a top ten talent. I know he's a winger, and it you know contradicts what I said earlier, but um, you know I think he has a chance to be a special like Matthew Kachuk kind of kind of player. Um, but apart from that, I mean, look, if, if Mitchkov somehow is there at, at 10 or 11, God, I would move up for him too. I mean, but who knows? Um, but apart from that, I think you're right. I think just the value and, and the difference in terms of the player that would be there at 11 or 12, assuming the top 10 falls the way that we expect it, um, then I just think the positional value is not going to be that great though. I, I will say that I do expect somebody who we see in all these mock drafts that's projected to go in the top 10. I do think somebody is going to fall outside of it because it always happens. There's always somebody yep. that makes some crazy pick at number eight and just somebody that we just, you know, think is going to be a reach and just, you know, that just happens. So, you know, sometimes it works. You know, you you know, you get a Moritz Sider who no one had on their radar as a top five. Sometimes it's Elias Anderson, like who the Rangers took at eight several years ago. So it, you just you never know. But I just feel like it always happens. Somebody off the radar is going to move into the top ten, at least one. Yep. Yep. No, I think you're right. I, there's there's no question that. I mean, all all these mock drafts, all, everything that we're saying right now, when all is said and done and it's laid out there and you see who picked who, it's going to be drastically different than any of us predicted. Yes. That's just the way yeah. that it goes. Um, but I, but I agree that, that staying with 19 with kind of the level of talent that will be available is a, yeah. is a really big, is, is, is the right play is definitely yeah. the right play. So moving into the second round, 
with the with the three, excuse me, four second round picks that the Blackhawks have, and they have the 35th overall pick. We're talking about people dropping out of the top 10. There will probably be first round talent available at 35 mm-hmm. for the Blackhawks. And if you it, it wasn't that long ago, well, actually it was June of 2011 when a guy named Brandon Saad fell to 43rd overall. And uh and people couldn't believe it when he was there and the Hawks scooped him up and he was obviously an integral part of two cups. Is there, are there a few players out there, Eric, do you think that they stick to the forward position with that 35th pick and what else happens in the second round? We've talked about goaltending needs. There's three goalies that could go in the second round. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on those guys as well. So let's start with 35th pick. And then what, what other kind of action do you expect the Hawks to have in the second round? If they hold on to all four picks. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think um, starting out with that, what you just said there, that if, um, I would say the chances of them making all four of those second round picks are slim. Um, you know, we were just talking about, do you move up from 19? To me, the, the far better value proposition is you package a couple of those second round picks and get another late first round pick to get, you know, one of those forwards that you really like that maybe they started falling uh, you know, maybe you you pass on Musty at 19 and he's still sitting there at 27 or 28 and you say, we got to get this guy. We're moving yeah. up and you know, getting another first round pick to get him. Um, you right. know, Daniil Boot, you know, Callum Ritchie, whoever, uh, Sam Hanzik, you know, whoever's still there. Yeah. And, you know, just based on how unpredictable this draft is and how deep this draft is, too there are going to be those type of guys that you were legitimately considering at 19. They're going to be sitting there in the late twenties and potentially even into the second round. So let's suppose that they do not make any trades. That's unlikely. You know, I think based on what Davidson has said, they'll probably not make all of the picks that they currently have, but as things stand right now, we only know what we know. That's the picks they have. So let's say they are picking at 35 like I said, I think that there is someone that you are probably seriously considering at 19 that's probably still sitting there, uh, whether that be a forward, which is probably more likely. Um, you know, again, looking at how, you know, the team feels about their, their you know, blue line pipeline, um, I just don't see a case where even at 35 that you're taking a defenseman unless it's a guy that, you know, for lack of a better term, just falls into your lap at 35. You know, let's say that Will Lander is still there. You take him. Mm-hmm. Let's say that, um, you know, a, a guy that I really like and a lot of people really like is Oliver Bonk. Um, you know, last name sounds familiar as it should, mm-hmm. son of Radic Bonk. Um, you know, he's kind of that, uh, you know, two-way type of defenseman right-handed defensemen. So that's important. The Blackhawks do not need left-handed defensemen. They have way too many left-handed defensive prospects. So if they're using a, you know, relatively valuable pick on a defenseman, it's going to be a right-handed defenseman. So, you know, if Will Anders is there at 35 somehow, which he will not be, um, you know, maybe say Axel Sandin Pelica falls that far, which he won't, maybe you take him. If Bonk is there, you know, I think that could be a legitimate consideration, uh, you know, just kind of because of what he offers. And a lot of people feel that he'll probably be a late first round pick, maybe could even, you know, be as high as, you know, 2021, 20, 22, somewhere in there in the 20s that he'll probably go somewhere in the 20s. So 
Uh, you know, if he's still there at 35, maybe you consider it. But otherwise, you're probably looking at a forward. And like I said, there's probably still going to be a guy that you were thinking about at 19 that's going to be there at 35. Um, you know, a, a couple guys that we didn't talk about earlier that are kind of in that, you know, bigger, you know, power forward type of a, a profile that, you know, you might think about at 35. There's guys like David Edstrom. There's guys like Anton Wahlberg. And yes. uh, um, a guy that I know, uh, former uh, rink member Mario Tirabassi, who of course is now Charlie a CHO, Stramel. Charlie Stramel from Wisconsin, I think is a guy that, uh, you know, could make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. The thing about those three guys is that they don't have, you know, that high end offensive upside that some of those earlier guys that we talked about do. So, you know, to me, if you're taking one of those guys, it's because you just love their all around package and say, this is the type of guy you win with long term. You know, I can't can't argue that. So, um, but yeah, just just looking, you know, you're talking about there's going to be a first round talent there. There's no question about that. There always is every year, but knowing how deep this draft class is, there's probably going to be first-round talent still sitting there at 44. So you're going to get a really solid player no matter who it is. But, yes, I think you're probably still looking at a forward in that spot, ideally somebody with some size like we talked about earlier. Um, I don't know if, uh, Bar, do you want to touch on 35 at all before we go into the other second-rounders? Yeah, no, I I, th- I agree with what you were saying. I, I do think it's more likely that they move back up into the first round than, than make all four picks. Um, you know, look at, and I think what you said about, you know, you're going to get somebody who maybe doesn't have, you know, the elite skill that you want, but it has an all around game. I mean, once upon a time, the Hawks took Dave Boland, who was a very high scorer in junior, but, you know, he was projected to be sort of that middle six center who, you know, has an all around game and, and plays a two way game. Brian Bickle was another guy. So, you know, there's always talent in the second round. So, yeah, there's going to be somebody in the first round that falls and maybe they get aggressive and jump up to that late first round to grab grab him or maybe, you know, they get lucky and somebody drops to 35. But um, but I do agree. I think, look, I mean, they just need to stick to their board, stick to their draft board. Um, you know, they've gone through this process, so that that's what they need to do. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I you mentioned um, Stramel and Edstrom. Eric, and I think that those are two guys, their, their size is critical if they've got that, uh, the right mentality. And like you said, these are guys that you win with um, that maybe don't have that, that high-end talent that you'll see in the top 10. If those guys fall to 35 and are available, I don't know how you don't take a flyer on one of those two or, or bonk, uh, like you said. But in a talent-rich draft uh, like this one, there's going to be some, some really, really good players that are going to fall at 35. Now, what about the goaltending scenario? You got Drew Camesso, um, you know, who just finished his sophomore season at BU that has signed, I believe, with the Blackhawks. But then other than that in the prospect pool, it might be time to take a run at a goaltender. Um, and there will be some in the second round. And if you do have a surplus of picks in the second round, that is usually a good spot to take a chance on someone. I know a name that's been thrown a lot a lot lately is uh, Adam Gagin. Uh, you know, Gajan was the, the goalie that unfortunately was on the wrong end of Connor Bedard's brilliance in, uh, in, in the world junior tournament, that classic goal on three on three that you saw. But other than that, he had a, a, a complete rock star tournament, um, from, for team Slovakia. He's going to Minnesota Duluth next fall is Gajan a kind of goalie that you would like to see, uh, the Hawks take a run at. And who are some of the other names that might be in that fabric that could go 
in, you know, a little bit later in the second round, maybe around that 55 spot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely like Gajan. I think that he would be a, you know, a, a good use of a pick in the second round. Um, looking at the goalies for this draft class, there's really four that are kind of like in that top tier for goalies. So uh, obviously you've got uh, Michael Herbel, who I think most, most people would say is the consensus number one option out of those four um, pretty much purely just based on the size. I mean, the guy is just massive. I think he's six, six or maybe even six, seven, but he's still a very athletic goalie. Um, you know, so he'll go very high I mean, he could even sneak late into the first round. If not, people are thinking that he'll, he'll go in the thirties for sure. So, um, you know, theoretically, if, if you're just in love with Herbal and he's there at 35, could you take him? Sure. Would that be the best use of the pick in my opinion? Probably not. Um, you know, so it's at least something to think about, but starting at 44, then you're starting to look at those other three goalies. So you got Gage and like we were talking about, you also have Carson Bjarnason, who's a Canadian goalie. Then you have Trey Augustine from the U S national team development program. And, uh, you know, like I said, all, all three of those guys, you know, firmly factor into that top four group. I think most people would say that Gajan and Bjarnason are kind of interchangeable between second and third of the group. Um, I, I prefer Gajan just because I think his trajectory over this last year has just been, you know, very exciting. Um, just seeing how much progress he has actually made is really remarkable. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to be playing in the world juniors. He was an injury replacement and then kind of got thrown into the starter job and took it and ran with it. And, um, you know, just seeing, you know, that progress is very, very intriguing for sure. And, uh, you know, whereas Bjarnason has kind of more so always been that touted goalie prospect, um, you know, kind of like the Canadian goalie from this crop. So, um, you know, there's always been a spotlight on him going back a year or two, um, you know, and, and not that he hasn't done anything to, to justify that. I think he, he'll be a solid goalie and will go in the second round for sure. But, um, yeah, I think Gajan probably has a little bit more upside just from what we've seen. Um, extremely agile, very athletic, um, you know, and, and still has a little bit of that size. I think he's 6'2". So, you know, not a huge goalie like Herbal is, but he's not small either, like a UC Soros or anything. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, those are, sorry. Oh, no, I just said he's a good sized kid. Sorry, folks. Again, if you hear any delay, that's that's me and my Internet. But I said (laughs) Gajan is a good sized kid, not the size of Hrabel, but but he is good sized and he's just very athletic. Yeah, and uh, Hrabel going to be at UMass Amherst next fall, which uh, yes. should be interesting. Follow Bardo, uh, we like that a lot. So anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think if you're looking at Gajan <laughs> or Bjarnason, I think you're probably you know if you want to guarantee you know quote unquote guarantee that you get one of those guys, you probably have to do it at 44. Um, I think that it's probably 50 50 that one of them is there at 51 still. If you're waiting until 55. They could still be there, but I don't know that I would rely on that. Um, you know, so if, if you're just comfortable getting one of those four and you're okay, if it's Trey Augustine, then maybe you wait until 55. Uh, you know, I think that one of them will probably still be there at 55, but if you want to add, you know, a, a goalie to the pipeline, which I think is a good idea, you know, it, it sounds like that's kind of, it's about time where they're needing to add another one, mm-hmm. understanding that 
this isn't going to be a guy that jumps right into the AHL or the ECHL. You know, it's going to be someone that takes a few years and just kind of that timeline of the rotation of goalies through your system, you probably want to look at adding one and, you know, you can't go wrong with adding, you know, a more highly touted goalie, especially when you have this many picks. So to me, I think you do try to get Gage or Bjarnason. And uh, if you really want to make sure you get one of them, I think you do it at 44. Um, if you're okay with one or the other, then maybe you wait until 51. But um, yeah, definitely a, a good group of goalies to choose from for sure. What's your take on Ratzleff? I've heard, I've seen him, I've seen him as high as like even two or three as for, in terms of the top goalies. And I've seen him down low because he's, you know, he's probably the most athletic out of all these kids. It's just, he's, you know, not as big as them and, and everyone's looking for the big goalie. I think, yeah, to me, I think the thing that's hurt him the most is the fact that he was behind Thomas Milich in Seattle this year. And Milich is an overager who is still eligible in this draft, and he will definitely get picked in this draft for sure. Um, but he's already at, I don't know if he's turned 20 yet or not, but um, he was the starter for the Thunderbirds and he played for the Canadian Moral Junior team and stuff. So he was kind of taking away ice time from Scott Ratzlaff, especially in Seattle. And, um, you know, so I think that could kind of way into where Ratzlaff goes. I mean, I think he'll still be a top 100 pick in the draft for sure. Um, but I don't know that he gets into the second round. I think he's probably more of a third round type of goalie just based on the body of work that he had this year. Um, you know, I, I, th I think the talent is there. Obviously the Blackhawks have seen a lot of him given that they had, you know, a trio of guys playing for the Thunderbirds this year. Um, you know, they're, they're certainly very familiar with rats laugh and, and his game and stuff, but I don't know, to me, it's, you know, do you, do you roll the dice on that smaller workload and hope that the potential, you know, pans out and he has a, you know, he'll definitely have the starting job in Seattle next year. There's no doubt mm -hmm. about that, but you know, it, it's kind of, do you take a risk on a guy who you haven't necessarily seen as much of, um, compared to guys that had, you know, bona fide starting jobs. Yeah. So to me, I don't know if you're going to go for a guy that, you know, is maybe not a giant like Crable is, you know, so if you're going with kind of that middle sized goalie, I would much rather go for a guy like Gage and then Ratzlaff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's, yeah. it depends on what you like. I mean, if you like the athletic goaltender who is, yeah, he's look, he's six, one, six, two, it's not terrible but it's not six, five or six, six either. And everyone's going for those bigger goalies these days. So um, it, it just depends on, you know, what teams want from a trend perspective. Yep. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really hoping that the Hawks don't, don't let the, uh, they, that they don't let the second round go by without taking a flyer on a goalie. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't panic if that's the case, but you know, as Eric, you said, and Bardo with the surplus of picks that they have, this is the time to do that. And there's some really good ones out there. So folks be expecting a goalie in the second round or, or we're hoping for that. Um, we are approaching the hour in our draft preview um, before I just shift gears. Cause I want to talk about, I want to talk 10 minutes about free agency. Are there any final thoughts on what to look for in the draft or what you guys are excited about? about players that we have not mentioned yet that the Blackhawks should be thinking about or that we should be excited about should the Blackhawks take one of them. Yeah, I mean, there's 
there's a lot of guys that are very interesting in this draft class for a number of reasons. Um, I won't go through every single guy that I named in my article. I think I named over 60 guys. So if you want to see a bunch of names and kind of where they factor in, read the article and you'll see all those. But I'll go through at least a few other guys. Um, I am expecting that they have not taken a defenseman at 19 or 35. So at that point, 44 would kind of be the first opportunity there. Um, a guy that I really like who, if he was still there at 44, I would be thrilled to get him. I don't know that he will be. I, I think he's probably more a guy that goes in the 30s. Uh, but that's uh, Maxim Sturback is just a, a big-bodied physical defenseman, uh, you know, that can still move the puck. But, you know, I, I think that's kind of – if you're looking at their prospect pool on the blue line, especially on that right side, kind of having that bigger-bodied, you know, sound defensive physical forward or defenseman, uh, Sturback just fits that that hole really, really well. And I think – uh, you know, that if he's there at 44, that would be a really nice addition to their pipeline. Um, other guys that could go in the second round, um, there's a Finnish power winger named Casper Halton in that I think is, is pretty intriguing, kind of has a, a pretty well-rounded uh, toolkit, but, you know, nothing is necessarily super high end. So he's probably more of a guy that would kind of be like a middle six type of winger that, um, you know, every winning team needs those big bodied, guys that can do a little bit of everything. So that's kind of a guy that I envision in that type of a mold. Um, going back to the Seattle Thunderbirds, Nico Mayatovich is another interesting name. He's kind of uh, a guy that's kind of risen up the draft boards a little bit throughout the season. Uh, kind of seemed like he would be a third or fourth rounder. And now it seems like if you want to get him, you're probably going to have to take him in the second round. Uh, just kind of a, a bigger bodied power winger that can, again, do a little bit of everything. So um, you know, knowing that they are obviously very well in tune with the Seattle Thunderbirds, that's a guy that I could see them taking with one of those second round picks. Um, once you start getting into the third and fourth round, it's kind of a crapshoot of who's still going to be available. But um, again, I, I listed a number of different names that could be interesting if they're still available. So um, yeah, I won't, I won't bore everybody with a bunch of later draft pick potential names, but uh yeah, it'll be yeah, very I, interesting to see what direction they do, go with a lot yeah. of these picks. Yeah, I do like some of the things that you're saying, though, Eric, particularly with if you're going to target kind of bigger, more rugged defensemen, a lot of those will be available late, late into the draft. Some of them coming, you know, straight out of even the Minnesota high school ranks, you know, places like that. Sturback going uh, off to Michigan State in the fall. He'd be an awesome pick see him in some uh, some big big 10 hockey and you wouldn't believe it if i told you but i'm adding someone to the stream right now who we've been waiting for for quite some time hello mr fitzgerald how are you doing hello this evening, buddy uh, i am wonderful you know just wonderful um i don't know if you guys said Good. this but I'm well, sean fitzgerald is here uh daily reminder the blackhawks are not trading the first pick and connor bernard they're not trading him I'm tired of the narrative, so I just wanted to, you know, put it on the podcast yep. so everybody who listens will hear it, because I keep tweeting it out daily, because every day I see an egregious, idiotic, and any other adjective you can think of, trade request. But not it's even not for, good. well, what if I offered, okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we did, we did touch base on that all too briefly to open up the show, and that was the right move, and Sean, 
my forgiveness. A lot of times it's your internet tonight. It's my hamster wheel. That's not going very well. My guys oh. are a little bit sleepy. They're not running very fast. So if, if there's a delay uh, and a little bit of a pause, you know, Eric's been, Eric's been dealing with it nicely. It actually gives the folks a little bit of a warm up before Eric gets into the draft analysis when there's a pause beforehand, which is really helpful. Yeah. Um, um, it's been great. Did you guys, he's certainly been uh, missed it. He's been deals in. So. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, his article in the rink.com was very informative on draft prospects and things of that nature. So if, uh, if people haven't checked that out, I highly, highly recommend that. I do, I do want to throw out one sleeper that, um, that I read about. You guys know I'm, I'm a big college hockey guy, especially the hockey East because as a UMass alum, um, but there's, there's a kid, Brandon Swoboda. I don't know, uh, Eric, if you're familiar with him. So he played in the USHL this past year. Um, didn't play much, but scouts are impressed by him. And he's, go- I think he's going to be you, um, but he's a big kid. So I think he's like six, four or something like that. Um, but he's a guy that I think, you know, could be sort of a middle round steal perhaps as somebody who could be a, a valuable piece to a team you know, as you're building. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's not a guy like I've heard the name, I've heard the name, but I, I haven't looked into him a whole lot, but that's the, that's the type of profile that I think they really need to be exploring in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's those bigger type of guys that you can project, you know, what, you know, how their game is going to transfer to the NHL level, especially if they can skate fairly well, which I believe he can from what I've the limited stuff that I've heard. Yeah, but. I don't, I don't remember. I really watched like a few highlights of him, and he didn't really play a lot. But um, you know, scouts saw enough of him when he did play that they think that with more playing time, with more experience, and perhaps you know, I don't know if he's going to stick with the USHL this year. He has committed to, um, I believe it's BU. Like I said, so if it is BU, then yeah. I think he's going to Boston. You know, yeah. So, I mean, that's a good program to develop. So, I mean, and here's the thing, too. We've talked about this earlier in the show, but when you have as many picks as they do, why not swing for the fences with a few of them? I mean, they did it last year with Sam Renzel. So if you're looking at a mid-round pick on this guy, why not? They're lottery tickets. That's what these things are. You know, it's like, you know, you pick them and you're not going to hit on every one of them. But the more you have, the more, you know, you're going to probably – better chances that you have, they're going to hit on more of them. <laughs> and organizational depth is a huge thing. Um, like even if you, let's say in the, the later rounds, you draft a guy who's um, a four a player, they, those are still useful in your organization because they're cheap and yep. you can recycle through those every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a big, when Kyle Davidson inherited the Blackhawks organization, that's one of the biggest things that they didn't have any depth. Not only did they have any top-end talent, but they definitely didn't have any depth to uh, just fill out an NHL roster. That's why Stan Bowman was overpaying the Ryan Carpenters of the world and people like the Drake Kajulas of the world, like (laughs) whatever the hell his name is. I will say Um, this about the You got it right. Amazingly, you got it right. I will say this about the organization, and I did mention this in a previous podcast during the season, is the – the one thing that I really appreciate about, you know, the last year is how how much these prospects have advanced and they've all improved uh, under this new regime. So and I don't know if it's coincidence or if it's how they're developing them, but 
I mean, just to see the growth of these guys, like even Nolan Allen has grown um, and, and seen just other guys, even from the last draft class, you know, uh, was it Ryan Green, among others. They're just progressing. And that, to me, and that's why they've jumped from being the worst farm system to now one of the better ones. So yeah, I, I think and it's. I, and one thing to uh, piggyback off that, I think it, a plan is a very important. And as yep. we've discussed many times, the previous regime didn't have one. No. It was just draft skill. It didn't matter how small they were. If they were yeah. five, six, we draft them the first round and hope skill trumps all. Yep. Yep. No, great, great stuff, everybody. I want to talk for 10 minutes because I know we've, we've gone for a while tonight, but I just want to talk for 10 minutes about free agency because sometime after the draft, I believe it's July 1st when free agency opens up. And I want to talk about two names that have been associated with the Blackhawks. One is JT Comfer, and the other is Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, on 30, 32 Thoughts, Elliot Friedman suggested that maybe Tarasenko might be someone to put on the <laughs> with uh, in his first year. Um, as a Blackhawk, uh, you know, it's a very seasoned professional, could certainly pump in a lot of goals. I certainly think that they would need some toughness on the other flank with him, but Hey, first line, Bedard, Confer, <laughs> and Tarasenko, anybody? That'd be kind of interesting. Sean Tarasenko. What do you think? I think um, as long as it's not long-term money, if it's a shorter deal at a high value to hit the floor, he's going to help Bedard develop. So I think, I think that's a, a good move. Also, he's kind of an injury risk for a lot of teams. So, Maybe the Hawks can overpay in the short term um, to get him to come to them to play with Bedard. I, I think it's the right move. You've got to add some NHL skill pieces, even if they only ever are on the ice with Bedard. That's fine because his development is – once he's in the NHL now, his development is the most important thing. Ardo, what do you think, man? No. Hard no on, on Tarasenko. Um, I mean, I think his, his production has dropped. His his production has dropped. Um, you know, I, I just uh, – to me, it's just his production's dropped, and it, 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 it's not, there's nothing exciting about that. Um, he's he's always hurt. I, I think that's that part bothers me a lot. I, I just – I would steer clear of this. I mean, I'm not saying that – I agree with philosophically they need to put a winger of some, you know, experience that can help him along um, on his line. I just wouldn't wouldn't force myself to take him as the guy. I, you know, if I could trade for him, then, then trade for him. But I just would not sign. I don't think the Hawks should do that. I just – hard no. If he and then is Confer not... possibly go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say if, if Tarasenko didn't play for the Rangers, would that impact your thoughts, Bart? Uh, that's what I no, was thinking. not at all. I mean, it's got nothing to do with the Rangers. It's just I, I just don't think I think he's kind of done, you know. I yeah. I, I just I hear you. I, I, I think he, he's just dropped. So I wasn't overly imp- he had a couple of decent games with the Rangers, but I didn't I wasn't overly impressed with him. Um, I, I just think his kind of best days are behind him. He's not that feared goal scorer he once was. 
I mean, I don't want to do this and, and say that the Hawks just signed the Russian version of Andrew Brunette. I mean, it's just to me, I don't want that. I mean, we we saw Andrew Brunette would just kind of dropped. I mean, we, you know, like a stone in the ocean as a goal scorer. So, and comfort to me, I just feel like he's going to get paid. Somebody's going to pay him like a, a handsome amount. I think he's going to get a five-year deal somewhere. I think they're going to blow the Hawks out of the water. If, if, if he thinks he's going to come home on a two-year deal, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, the only way that he's coming to Chicago is if he just purely wants to come home. And at this stage in his career, I don't see him doing that. You know, someone's going to offer him that longer term, given that this free agent class is so weak. Someone's going to give him four, five, six years and a decent amount of money. Now, if, you know, kind of going off the Tarasenko mold, one guy that, you know, everyone has been talking about, but if you're going to overpay a guy on a short-term deal, just, just bring back Max Domi. You know, I, I know yeah. we kind of, we kind of hate the bring back whoever narrative, but this is one where it actually kind of makes sense. You know, he, he was a good fit here. He really enjoyed it. The team liked having him. So, you know, and, and he's still young enough and, you know, has a diverse enough, you know, skill set where, maybe he does come back to Chicago for a couple years at even, you know, pay him six, six and a half to get him to come. Yeah. And he can still cash in, you know, in a couple of years and, and get that maybe a little bit longer term of a deal with a contender if he, yeah. if he wants to leave at that point. So, but you know, yeah, I think that if you're looking for kind of that more, a little bit higher profile of a guy that you could bring in, short-term big money, I think it, it's more so Domi than somebody like Tarasenko. I mean, I'll give you another name that I actually would go after before um, before Tarasenko. And, uh, if you say Milan Lucic, I'm leaving. No, I was my suggestion before. Um, no, actually, I was going to oh. say I was going to say Alex Kalorn. If they could get yeah. him on a two-year yeah. deal, I yeah. mean, I know he, I think he's like 36 now or something like oh, that. He's but only, He's yeah. not that He's old. like 33 he's, or something. Okay. Well, look, 32. But he still plays very well. He plays he plays hard. Um, he's a guy that I would actually put on his wing and say, you know what, yeah. you, you're you're a multi-time Stanley Cup winner. Um, you know, play with a ton of skill guys. He'd be a guy that I would say put with Bedard. Mm-hmm. Roll back the tape. I'm pretty sure I said this several months ago too. So I agree with you, Bardo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a good fit. Yeah, I think this year's, fails, uh, this year's class of UFA. <laughs> He's a UFA. Yeah. Yeah. This, <laughs> this year's class of UFAs is so brutal, though. I mean, this is going to be like a housing crisis where people are just owing, overpaying for just weak, weak talent. And, <laughs> not weak talent, but le- leaky ceilings and, you know, so, some fixer-upper projects. I mean, if this is, this is a good year that the Hawks aren't going to get in a bidding war over a uh, – over the the kind of guys that are out there, this is a good year to be rebuilding and not have to try to pay anybody. So they do yeah, need I mean, to hit the floor. So there there might be a name or two that we don't love, but mm-hmm. that that ends up in the in a Blackhawks uniform. That's just the way that it goes. So and I will say this: I mean, there's a ton of teams out there that are also up against the you know the the yep. salary cap, and quite frankly, unless they have to re-sign some of their own guys, like I would not look to move any any money to try to sign anybody in this free agent class. Cause this free agent class is hot, steamy garbage. It is horrible. Yeah. Well, you don't love counter. counter no, I would Brown. much rather. I mean, oh God. Yeah. Connor Brown is <laughs> but I would John much rather. Brown. I know we talked about. 
<laughs> John Clem. Bring back, John Clem. Wow, back, what a name. Bring back uh, Caius Suter. That was ever. that was Andy's guy. He's a free agent. I love Caius. I love Pius. No, but I, I think that if they are going to try to hit the cap floor with the kind of draft capital that the Hawks have, and you can dip into the 2024 draft if they need to, you know, we, we talked about it before, but trading for someone to hit the floor like a Taylor Hall to a team that's so desperate, uh, you know, that needs to shed dollars and that has no draft capital whatsoever. I'd be much more interested in doing something like that than signing oh, one of these uh, free agents that, one hundred percent, I would be. I would be more on board with uh, with trading for somebody and getting a sweetener or two with it versus dipping into free agency. Absolutely, it's not even a question. Yeah. Well, folks, we've gone uh, for quite a while tonight, and Sean, a little late to the party. Glad glad to see you though. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts, Sean, before the draft that you're excited about before we declare victory for the evening? I'm excited about um, the, the the potential for the future of the Blackhawks. I think that's the biggest optimism in general. Uh, Kyle Davidson, uh, say what you will about him. He's done a lot of the groundwork. Now it's time to really start building off of it. He had his first class. Now this will be his second class with the jewel, Connor Bedard. Let's see what he continues to do uh, in the future. But I'm excited. Like it's the first time in a long time. Then I've been excited for a rebuilding team to, um, you know, what their prospects are going to do. So I'm excited about that. For and I'm I'm excited to see what they do with 19. Are they going to keep the pick? Are they going to trade it? There's like the Penguins, Calgary. They all have extra picks, so I'm excited to see what they do with that. Yeah. Bardo, any uh, final shots uh, from your end? We'll go Bardo, and then we'll go Eric. Yes, uh, when in doubt, sign Milan Lucic. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should sign uh, Richard Panik again. Yeah. Connor Brown is becoming, like oh, I said, wow. you know, every year there's always a guy that just jumps up in free agency and becomes that guy that's going to get overpaid. John Clem and all these other guys, it happens every year. And it's like, geez, Connor Brown was even healthy last year and everyone's apparently going after him. Oh god, ridiculous! <laughs> he's he's thirty three um, yeah. in terms of what they got paid last year in for the UFA. So dumb. Yeah, That's well, hard. Eric, your uh, your analysis on the prospect pool was absolutely outstanding tonight. So thanks so much for all of your your research and for giving our our listeners something to uh, to chew on heading into the draft. Because uh, it's a really, really valuable stuff. Any parting shots for our listeners as far as what to look for or what you're excited about before we uh, send off for the evening? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm excited to be there. I'll be I'll be going down to Nashville for the draft. Um, I'll be there both days. So um, very excited to take it in. I have been to, I think, four drafts at this point. So this will be my fifth. Um, first one in a little while. The, the one in Chicago in 2017 was the last one. So Obviously, this is going to be a pretty exciting one as a, as a Blackhawks fan. So, um, yeah, I will be there. I'll be you know live on site. I do plan on tweeting out kind of some reactions to some of their picks and trades and stuff. So uh, keep an eye out on the Twitter machine for that um, at Wallaxer19. If you're watching on video, you see it under under my picture there. So, um, but yeah, I will at least you know for the first uh, few rounds, I'll, I'll be 
given some some reactions to uh, their picks. You know, I, I probably won't be able to speak for guys in the sixth and seventh round, but um, yeah, definitely just looking forward to taking it all in and uh, just getting to experience it firsthand. I was fortunate enough to be there in 07 when they drafted Patrick Kane. So being there for, you know, their, their second first overall pick in franchise history is going to be really exciting. Can we get this man a credential, get him on the floor so we can hear some conversations we tried. Mm. Damn. Uh, say, could you wear a Thomas Tatar Blackhawks jersey for like the impending <laughs> free agent signing? Or that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. So bad. Um, real quick, shout out to our sponsor, as I forgot to in the beginning, but www.puckhockey p u c k h c k y dot com in all caps. Use discount code the rink, also in all caps. 10% off, spend 100 bucks, you get a free t-shirt. And check out the Rink West. Wink West where, as I say every time. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, go, go Hawks. Uh, it's going to be an awesome draft. We'll be around to recap it, too. Eric, thanks for all your expertise. Pardo, awesome to see you. Sean, it's never too little, too late for you. You always are a value add. Love seeing you, too. Happy summer. And um, take care, everybody. Have a good night.